This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Well, if you have your Bibles, open it with me this morning, if you would, to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. And for those of you who enjoy love songs, you're going to love Psalm 122. That's my radio love song voice, which I honestly feel has been underutilized in my life. I, I need an outlet for that somehow, a radio show or something. Psalm 122 is a love song, but it's not a ballad. It's not a sad love song. It's not a breakup song. It's a song of great excitement and great joy. There are nine verses and six exclamation points. And so those kind of things give you the feel of what this psalm is like. There's a lot of expressions of joy. It is a song to be sung with great excitement and very loudly with great joy. One that probably deserves to be danced to, but we're not going to do that this morning. And that's not because convictionally I'm against it, but it's because most Baptists are terrible dancers. But the object of the love is not a person. The object of the love and the excitement and the joy, the feeling of I'm in love is actually a place. Now, it sounds unusual at first, but if we think about it, it's not really unusual at all. We know a lot of songs like this. Ray Charles sang a love song to Georgia. Uh, Frank Sinatra sang a love song to New York. Johnny Cash sang a love song to Jackson. And I'm only mentioning this because I love Ryan Wingo. Leonard Skinner wrote a great love song to Alabama. And so that's not unfamiliar to us, this idea of love songs to places. And, and that's what this is. It's clearly a love song, and the emphasis is on a place. If you're there, look at Psalm 122 as I read it. It says this. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. As was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord, there thrones for judgment were set and the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now it is clearly a love song. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure in verse 6. For those who love you. And it is a love song for Jerusalem. All of the emphasis is there. In verse 3 it says Jerusalem. And then begins to talk about the glory of this city. Now, I want to remind you, this is one of the Psalms of Ascents, and this is what we're walking through over these next few weeks. And these were the songs that the people of God sang as they made their pilgrimage every year to meet with the Lord for the different festivals and gatherings in Jerusalem. And these Psalms are not only a songbook for those people as they made their journey, 
but they really exist as a metaphor for us. This is why they're important. They're really a metaphor for our journey. So they give us some language to learn. They give us some help as we make our journey day by day, moment by moment, going to meet with God. There may be nothing in all of the Bible that gives us more practical help than these 15 Psalms of Ascents that give us an understanding of our journey with Jesus day by day. Now, this one was written for the people to sing as they went to that city. They went to Jerusalem. And you might notice it says it was written by David. Now, that right there was a part of the original Hebrew text. That big phrase above that was not, but... When it says a Psalm of David, that was part of the original text. And there's only four of these Psalms of Ascents that were written by him. David loved this city. David is the one who first captured this city. David is the one who brought the Ark of the Covenant to that city. David is the one who established that this city would be the place in which the presence of God was dwelling. It was there in which he set up the seat of political life in the country. It is there in which he set the seat of religious life in the country. So the priests were there. The kings were there. This was really, in a sense, the center of the people of God's life. And David loved this city. But the city also mattered to the Lord. The Lord had said, even prophetically, that there will be a city one day and I will place my name there. That's significant because by placing his name on the city, what he was saying is that city represents me. That city points to me. That city exists for my reputation. And God has always ordained it that from Eden all the way to Jerusalem, and we see this throughout the Bible, that there are places in which God has chose for his presence to dwell. And people would come to those places and experience him and know him. And from those places, they would be sent out to spread his name and to spread his presence and spread his glory to the ends of the earth. And for the people of God, Jerusalem was that place. They would come there to worship and they would go from there to spread the worship of God. And it was, it was a marvelous city. I mean, in David's day, it was a marvelous city, but in Solomon's day, it was going to be even more marvelous. And David had wanted to build a temple for the Lord, and the Lord told him, no, it wasn't his time. But he prepared for his son Solomon to build a temple. And just read First Chronicles and look at the glory and beauty of that temple, and you'll understand why people came from all over the world to come to this city. But in the midst of this long love song, which appears at first glance to be a love song for a city there is actually some really practical and important help for us in our journey today with Jesus Christ. Let's begin to look at what the psalm says. It begins with an invitation. It says in verse one, I was glad when they said to me, and then there's quotes there, let us go to the house of the Lord. So uh, the psalmist is receiving an invitation. Some friends come and say, hey, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's go together. And out of great joy and excitement, he was glad that he was asked, they began to take this journey together to the house of the Lord. But the joy of the journey doesn't compare to the joy of the arrival. Look at verse two. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. It's as if there's a place that they've always wanted to be, a place that they loved, and maybe they've been there before and can't wait to get back, or maybe they've never been there before. Maybe it's one of those places you've dreamed of going or a place that your family goes every year, and it's just kind of your place. This is what it feels like. They're thrilled about the invitation to go. And then when they get there, they say, our feet are here. 
We're here. We've arrived. We are within the gates of Jerusalem. And they're rejoicing at their arrival in this place. And then the tension turns to the city itself. Look at verse 3. So then it begins to say, Jerusalem. And really the rest of this psalm talks about why it is that they were so excited about this place. What's, what's special about this place? What do we know about this place? Why did they feel so much joy at the thought of going to this place? Well, if you walk through the psalm, there's a few reasons. This was a place of joy. This was always a place of joy. When it says, I was glad when they said unto me, that word glad means to be absolutely overjoyed. And again, read First Chronicles. And the joy that was always associated with the place of God. Uh, read the book of Ezra and the joy and the strength that comes from this place. Psalm 16 says, in his presence is fullness of joy. And this is the place in which the presence of God was. So there was always joy associated with this. There was gladness when you went to the house of the Lord. But it was also a place of clarity. Look at what it says there. A little interesting phrase in verse 3. It says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. It's, it's a phrase that means Jerusalem was well planned and well thought out. It was well organized. And that really was to be a metaphor for the people of God. That in the chaos of their life, they would walk into Jerusalem and there would something about that place would feel orderly. It would feel as if chaos is gone and there was something about this place that made you feel as if your life was being put back together. And I think we all feel that, don't we? We all go through seasons when we feel like nothing in our life is working out, that things are not orderly, things are not going the way it's planned. Things feel very chaotic in the busyness of our life. And so Jerusalem was to be a place that was created and designed in such a way that you walk into it and all of a sudden things just become more clear. It was also a place of community. Look at what it says in the next verse. It says, to which the tribes, verse 4, go up. The tribes of the Lord as was decreed for Israel. So God had decreed that this would be the place where the family would reunite. So all of the tribes would come together a couple of times a year. And it was in that place in which you would see old friends and you would see new friends. It is in that place in which you would celebrate together at the company that had come together. And so part of the excitement was to go there and part of the excitement was to be around all the sights and the smells and the scenes. But a lot of the joy was that you got to be around the people. It's like a big family reunion, but you're glad to see all of these people. That's maybe the difference, but it's, this is what it feels like. It, man, I love these people and I don't get to see them very often, maybe just once or twice a year. And then you're meeting new people and it kind of feels like a festival, but with a gathering of a lot of people that you love and know and want to be around. It's also, he says, they're a place of praise, a place of praise. Look at verse four. And we give thanks there to the name of the Lord. And so the people would gather and they would remember the Lord. They would think about the Lord. They would think about the sustaining grace of the Lord. Kind of like we did in our singing today. We worship the Lord, we praise the Lord, we sing what he's done, we remember what he's done in the past, we look forward to what he's gonna do in the future. It's almost like it was a place in which everyone stopped and said, hey, let's just stop for a minute in the busyness. Let's just praise the Lord. Let's, let's remember what God has done for us. Let's give him thanks. And there was praise in that place. Again, look at First Chronicles of the book of Ezra again and see the amount of instruments that were there. 
and the loudness of the worship and the joy of the worship. This was not tame. This was not soft. This was not muted. There was loud celebrations of worship. This festival atmosphere. It was a place of praise. But it was also a place of truth. Look at verse 5. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Now, I think this is important in light of Psalm 120. We looked at Psalm 120 two weeks ago. And that was the realization by the author that I'm living around liars in a place filled with liars. And the reason is because the psalmist, like all of us, believed the lie that there was something better than the Lord. And he left the Lord in pursuit of something better, found himself surrounded by liars, and all of a sudden woke up one day and said, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to be around the liars. But even as we leave that for the truth of Jesus Christ, and every one of us has to do that, Psalm 120 reminds us every individual person has to come to a place in which you say, I believe the lies, I've walked away from God, but I'm ready to call upon the name of the Lord and trust Jesus Christ alone to save me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you have not done that, you need to do it this morning. This morning you need to say, I'm ready to begin the journey and give my life to Jesus. But there's still the lies around us, aren't they? The world is filled with lies, and as I said a couple of weeks ago, sometimes the biggest liar around us is the one inside of us. Always lying to us, telling us things that are not true about ourselves and about the world. We can be bombarded with our own thoughts and the lies. And so, in this chaotic world, you walk into Jerusalem and things feel orderly. In the midst of all of the lies, you walk in there and there's truth. In the midst of all the sadness, you walk in and there's this celebration of joy. There's all the sad songs playing in your life. And now you walk in and the songs of gladness are playing. Everything seems to come together there. It's always a place of prayer as well, verse 6. So we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. So they're coming and asking for God's blessing and Asking God's favor and asking God's protection, just like we did this morning. We prayed for God's blessing and prayer and protection. So they knew that they were coming to a house of prayer. Remember, the angriest we ever see Jesus is when he walks into a temple one day and he overthrows the tables and says, my father's house should be a house of prayer for all nations. No, you've missed the point of the temple. You're supposed to come here to meet with me. You're supposed to come here to offer up your prayer for the nations. And so it was, they were coming to seek the help of the Lord, the blessing, the favor, the anointing of the Lord. It was a place of, of prayer. Last of all, it was a place of, of blessing. I get this from the last few verses, but even more than that, from the story of Scripture itself. It says in verse 8, For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. And for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. God's plan has always been to bless a people. So that through those people, his name might be made known. We talk about the lot here with Psalm 67. And so what he's saying is, if Jerusalem is healthy and Jerusalem is thriving, then my people are healthy and thriving. If Jerusalem has peace, then my people have peace. If Jerusalem is doing well, then my people are not only coming to experience me, they're leaving to make my name known. So the mission of God, the health of God's people, the joy of God's people, the community of all God's people... That depends upon the health and the peace of Jerusalem. And so they wanted Jerusalem to be blessed so that they would be blessed and the nations would be blessed. And so they're praying for the blessing of God. 
So they loved this city and they, they were seeking its good. That last line is so important. I will seek the good of Jerusalem. They were seeking it because it was a place of joy and clarity and communion and praise and truth and prayer and, and blessing. So it's clearly a lot of love for this place. But this is really where we have to be careful with this psalm. Because it's not really a love song for a city. It feels like it at first. Jerusalem seems to be the emphasis and even says, we pray for those who love the city, but it's really not a love song for the city at all. I mean, the city was glorious, but this is not a celebration of a city. It's a celebration for what that city represented. There was something to see beyond the city itself. And it really is a celebration of two primary things that you see in the first two verses and the last few verses. Look at verse one. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Not let us go to Jerusalem, but let us go to the house of the Lord. You see, the reason Jerusalem mattered is because the Lord was there. Look at verse one, let us go to the house of the Lord. The Lord is the emphasis. Verse four, we want to go there where the tribes of the Lord are there. We wanna give thanks, verse four, to the name of the Lord. Verse eight, for the sake of the house of the Lord, our God. The ultimate reason that people made the journey to Jerusalem was not because they loved the sights and the smells and the taste. It's not because they loved a good festival. It's not because they didn't wanna miss out on the biggest things happening in the year. If they went there for all of those reasons and those reasons alone, they would have missed the reason they were to go and that's because God was there. It's the presence of God. The joy of the invitation, not the joy to go to a city, but the joy to meet with God himself. The joy and the community and the praise and the truth and the prayer and the blessing, that was all because they loved the Lord. The joy was from the Lord. The truth was from the Lord. The praise was for the Lord. No, they were celebrating the, the presence that was there. But there's something else in verses one and two. Look, I was glad when they, corporate, said to me, individual, let us go to the house of the Lord. It says, then and our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. You see, the journey was great, not because of the destination that they might enter into the presence of the Lord, but the journey was great because of the people that were taking the journey with them. I was glad when they said, come with me to the house of the Lord. And so together they take this family road trip with friends that they love. And sometimes if you're able to have an opportunity to take a road trip, maybe with some old friends, well, part of the fun is the destination, but a lot of the fun is just the journey. You just wanna be with the people. And a lot of the celebration here is that I can't wait to go with these people to this place. Look at verses six through nine. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem that they may be secure who love you. So the emphasis was not on the security of the city, look, but the security of they who love you. It's the people. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. Now look at this. You see the word sake, it's in the middle of verse eight. And it's again at the beginning of verse nine, for the sake, for my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be within you. So there's this desire for Jerusalem to have peace. Why? Because they love their companions and the people. Look at verse nine, for the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. So they're seeking the good of the city 
for the sake of the people and for the sake of God's, God's presence. You see, what this is, is this is not a love song for a city. It's a love song for God's presence and God's people. You see, what, what they really loved was the opportunity to meet with God and the opportunity to do so with God's people. And all the things that are mentioned here, the love, the joy, the praise, the blessing, all of that was simply about God's presence and God's people. And when they said there, and what is probably the most important line in the psalm, the last line, I will seek your good. What they're saying is this, I love this city, but I love this city because I love the presence of God. And I love this city because I love the people of God. And the thing that makes me the most joyful, the thing that brings great pleasure to my heart is the journey with God's people into the presence of God himself. That's why I love to come here. That's why I'm seeking the good of this city, not because the city itself, but because I love these two things, God's presence and God's people. So in the midst of all the celebration of the city, we... We can't ignore that the real love was those two things. Now, to be fair, we also can't completely ignore the significance of this city. Because it does have significance in the Old Testament, in the place in which God's presence dwelt. And it really has significance in our understanding of Jesus because when Jesus comes, Jesus comes, John 1, to tabernacle among us, and the presence of God is no longer resting in a temple in Jerusalem. It is resting in Jesus Christ himself. And now, if you want to meet with God, you don't go to Jerusalem. You go to Jesus. That's where the presence of God is. And then the presence of God is now resting in his church. And so we now get to enjoy the presence of God as his spirit is in us. And so it's significant for that reason but it's also significant for our future. If you have your Bibles, go to the very end if you would. Not the very end, not the concordance, but right before that, Revelation 21. Look at Revelation 21. Revelation 21. I wanted to read the entire chapter for you. I'm not gonna do that. You should read it later. Look at the first four verses. This is after chapter 20 in which Satan has been defeated and a great judgment has taken place and God has separated those who know him and those who don't. And so those who don't know him is the end of chapter 20 will be thrown into the lake of fire. But for those who do know him, it says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And the rest of the chapter just tells us the beauty and the glory of this city that is going to come. This is the chapter where we get the idea of streets of gold and gates of pearl. It's all there. And much more details about the beauty of this city. But this is helpful for us to remember. And I think particularly to confront this strange idea we have heaven. Where we're all chubby little babies with wings floating on the clouds. This is like somehow our idea of heaven is we're just floating around and we've got wings and, and we're going around looking at things. And that is not the biblical idea of heaven. The biblical idea of heaven is a restoration of the Garden of Eden. 
The Bible ends the way the Bible begins. So what will happen in the end, this world will be destroyed and God will create a new heavens and a new earth. And it will be for all of eternity, God's people living in God's place with God's presence and God's blessing for all of eternity. And we will have physical bodies and we will live and we will thrive and we will work and we will play and we will eat and we will enjoy one another. We will laugh, we will work. All of those things will happen. It will be life as it's meant to be for all of eternity. And so Psalm 122 really needs to be read in part prophetically to say, I can't wait to get there. Like I was glad when I got invited by someone to give my life to Jesus Christ. I was glad because I want to be in that place. I want to go there. And when you read Revelation 21, you even want to go there more. But even the emphasis of that is not on the place itself. I mean, Revelation 31 verse 3 says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So this, this new Jerusalem is coming down. But the glory of that is that God is now dwelling with man and he with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. So even in Revelation 21, the celebration is not the city, but the fact that God and man are dwelling together as one for all of eternity. It always goes back to the significance of God's people and God's presence. So certainly, there's a lot to be said about the significance of this psalm in the past and even prophetically in the future. But I told you that these psalms were for our journey to teach us day by day and moment by moment how to walk with Jesus Christ. And so what in the world does it mean for us? What Psalm 122 does, really at the beginning of our journey, after we have Psalm 120 giving our life to Jesus Christ, after we have Psalm 121 acknowledge that this is a difficult journey in which there will be a presence of trouble, but we also have the presence of God. It is a reminder that everything about this journey is the two things that matter most, God's presence and God's people. And so in the midst of all the Bible studies and all the sermons and all the helps, there's two things that matter more than anything else. On this journey, every day, the two things that matter most is God's presence and God's people. You can say it however you want to, loving God, loving people, enjoying God, enjoying people, however you want to say it. There are two things that matter more than anything else on the journey, and that is God's presence and God's people. If you wanted me to give a point for New Testament believers of Psalm 122, I would say it's this. We are seeking God's presence in the company of God's people. That's it, that's the journey. What are we doing every day? We're seeking God's presence. We want his presence, we want him, and we are always doing that in the company of God's people. But listen, the place does matter. It's always mattered. He talks about the place in Psalm 122. He talks about the place through the Old Testament. He talks about the place in Revelation 21. The place always matters and so for New Testament believers, seeing this in light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where is the place in which God centers us on his presence and his people? And the answer is the church. The church is the place. For New Testament believers, we read this psalm not only prophetically, but we read it as a celebration of God's creation of the church. Jesus died, he was buried, he rose, and when he ascended, he dispersed gifts, and he created the church, which he has called his body, and his bride, and the place in which we stay connected to the two things that matter most is the local church. 
You see this weekly gathering of God's people? That was God's idea. I'm not telling you to be faithful to church because it's my idea. God has created this weekly rhythm in which one day a week, after six days of work, we gather and we come to celebrate his presence and to know him and to enjoy him and experience him. And we celebrate his people. And what church is supposed to do, it's really supposed to reorient us, to set our compass in the right direction. It's to recenter us and reground us on what matters most. After all of the chaos and all of the lies, we come into the church and we get our eyes focused in the right direction. We get our minds in the right place. We even get our bodies headed to where they should be. And the reason that's so important, God knows this, is because every one of us suffers from spiritual ADD. We all do. That's sad, S-A-D-D. I just thought of that, sad, S-A-D-D. We all have spiritual ADD. What does that mean? Well, we get in this place and we, we get focused, most of you, and, and you're looking and you're, you're engaged and you're thinking about the Lord. And you know what? Within a few minutes of leaving this place, it's a thousand other things. Then Monday, it's a thousand other things. And Tuesday, it's a thousand other pursuits. And Wednesday, we didn't read the Bible and we didn't walk with the Lord. It's a, a thousand other things. And it's as if the Lord knows we have spiritual ADD and the church is the medication for it. The church is the weekly medication for our spiritual ADD. And we need our own time with Jesus. We gotta get up and meet with God. We gotta be reading his Bible. But the reality is we need the church to reorient our lives to the two things that matter most. And in this place, through the word and the preaching, the habits, the training, we equip you. But almost even more than that, the church exists to ignite in you a desire and a passion, a joy and excitement for Jesus. And all of those things are to be here. The joy and the clarity, the community, the peace, the truth, the prayer, the blessing, all of that is to be in this place. But all of it exists to do this, to just turn your eyes back to Jesus, to get you focused once again on Jesus, to remind you that Jesus matters most, that Jesus is worth the sacrifice, that Jesus is the focus of the journey, that Jesus is the one who has life. But it not only turns our eyes towards Jesus, it turns our eyes to each other. And I know I say this a lot, but this is why convictionally we have the lights up on Sunday morning. This is a rare thing in churches. Most of the time the lights are dim, but we convictionally have the lights up. And here's the reason why is because you have six days a week, whether while you're exercising or in the car or in the comfort of your own home or in the shower to sing praises to Jesus all by yourself. You get one time a week to gather with the people of God and sing and we need to see each other and rejoice in the company of one another. We need to rejoice in the multi-generational gathering of the people of God where we sing old songs and new songs because God has given us this moment, not just so that we would see him, but so that we'd see each other. That this would be the place in which we're reminded how much we need each other and how thankful we are for the faithfulness of each other and how weak all of us are and how desperately we realize we cannot make this journey without others. And so this gathering and community groups and everything else just kind of is an opportunity for you to meet some people that you can live life with. You know, the truth is, if you want to live life with its fullest and you want to experience the best of what God has for you, you have to make as a regular habit just being with God's people, not just on Sundays. And we have such a tendency to say, well, this is spiritual and this is not spiritual. Let me say something. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just go eat with some believers. 
and to play and to go on vacation and to have fun and to laugh together and to be in each other's homes. You need the gathering of people on a regular basis because the two most important things in this journey is the presence of God and the people of God. And that's why church matters so much. And that's why Psalm 122 matters so much. You know, there's this idea that, that, that you often hear, you may have heard this before, that in the Old Testament, everything was come and see. So the center was the temple and everyone needs to come and see what God has done. But the New Testament is go and tell. So the emphasis is not on a place, but everyone going and telling. But that's not true. It's not true. Because in the Old Testament, it was come and see and go and tell. It was all four. So what would happen? The people would come and they would see and they would taste and they would experience the presence of God and they would love it. And then what would they do? They would leave filled with the presence of God and share it. And it's the exact same thing in the New Testament. In the New Testament, God has created a church that we would come and we would see. This is why it's so important for you to invite people to church. That they might get in this room and taste a little bit about what God is and who he is and the joy of his presence. And we come and we see. And then what do we do? We go and we tell. All four of those has always been God's plan. And as New Testament believers, Psalm 122 is a call to remember how much the church matters in this journey. It reorients us every single week. It points our attention to the two things that matter most. And that's why it ends with these words. Look at the last phrase. I will seek your good. The application for that is this. Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose and ascended. And he gave us the church in which he calls his bride and his body. It matters to him and it must matter to us. We must seek the good of the church. It must get our best. It gets the best of our time, the best of our efforts, the best of our money, the best of our energies. We seek the good of the church. Why? Because if Jerusalem was thriving, so was the mission and the people of God. If the church is thriving, so is the mission and the people of God. If this is doing well, then we're doing well. If this is doing well, the community is gonna be doing better because God's plan is to do his work through the church. So we give our church the best so that here we might seek God's presence and the company of God's people for the sake of the lost and we do it all the way until he takes us home. That's his plan. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.